You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. It's great to be here with you today, this second Sunday of Lent. I want to thank uh, Pastor Robbie Waddell for inviting me. Robbie and I go back a long ways. We've probably been friends for over 20 years. And I consider it an honor to have this opportunity to share with you. You know, Lent is a special time in the church. We're celebrating that season. It's a time for us to focus attention upon Jesus. Jesus is suffering and Jesus' sacrifice for our salvation. When we think about that, that time that Jesus was in the wilderness, when we think about his sufferings and his sacrifice, we don't want to leave out the times of his joy, the times that he rejoiced, those times where he enjoyed the fellowship of his disciples. We do want to recall, though, that this journey is actually a gift. It's a gift from God. The way of salvation is just that. It is a journey, a journey with God. We walk with God as we walk towards God, as God is coming for us. Today's lectionary readings for this Sunday sound a constant theme, and that theme is promise keeper. God is the promise keeper. And he keeps promise. And these readings also call us to trust in God. Even during our times of difficulty. Even though we too shall walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We shall not fear. For the Lord is with us. The Lord guides us. He is there in the midst of those difficult times. So as we look at these scriptures together, I want to impress upon you that God is faithful. That it is God who keeps promise. Not just some of the time. Not just when we humans act appropriately or rightly. But God is faithful. Even when we are faithless. God is love, even though we may act hatefully. Our God is a good God, a great God. Our God is the promise keeper. So I'd like you to turn with me, if you'd like, to Genesis. The lectionary reading for today begins in Genesis 15, but actually... I want to go back to Genesis chapter 12. Why? Because Genesis chapter 15 picks up on the theme, a theme of promise, a promise that God made to Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah. But that promise was first given in chapter 12. I don't want you to get lost as we meander through the selected scriptures today. So, I want you to know that I'll be focusing first on the Old Testament and those readings. 
Those readings that emphasize promise. The promise is about a person and a parcel of property, a place to call home, a journey which culminates into a, a place of permanence for them. But along that journey, there are going to be problems. They're spoken to, they're lifted up in these verses. Then we're going to shift to the New Testament. We're going to come back to Philippians. And our focus then is going to be the fulfillment of the promise. It too is about a person. It is too the fulfillment, the actual complete realization of the promises that run through Scripture made by God. That person, that son is none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it also includes a place. We are looking for a place, a future with God, where we live with God in a way that God is glorified among us and in us. And that place will finally be a glorified earth. That's why our citizenship is not here but in heaven, and it comes to us from heaven with Jesus as God acts upon the cosmos in such a way that it is transformed and glorified, and we then get to experience that promise, the fulfillment of that promise, a promise that begins in Genesis 12, a promise that was given in Genesis 13. Three, the promise was given to Eve. The promise is reaffirmed um, to Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. It is also given to David that there would be a Messiah. The prophets of old had seen the promise and declared the promise. The law, the prophets, um, the, the wisdom scriptures all speak of this culmination, this grand and glorious day that we also are longing for. But we, like the people of old, can experience, can realize aspects of this promise in our journey. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless your name and make it great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, and all the peoples, not just some of them, not just those who are always nice and kind. Sometimes those enemies somehow are also going to be blessed through this promise, through this genealogy that begins. So Abram left. He left as the Lord had told him. Now Lot went with him. He took 70, uh, he was 75 years. And that's Interesting, isn't it? 75 years old, it's kind of an interesting time to have an encounter with Yahweh. And all of a sudden he says, you've accumulated much, but guess what? You got to leave. So he left. 
And he took his wife, uh, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and the possessions they had accumulated, the people that they had bought in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. They arrived there. We hear about a promise, a promise of a parcel of property, a place he's setting out that he's not sure where it is, but he's confident in this God, Yahweh, will lead and guide him to that place of promise. Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a slave in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look. Look up into the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, you shall, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Abram also said to him, or, or the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, out of the Chaldeans, to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey then came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved, and they will be mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kezanites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Armorites, Canaanites, Jebusites. In other words, there's a lot of people living in that land. 
It's interesting that this portion of Scripture begins with an important phrase. The word of the Lord came to Abram. In, verse, in chapter 15 of Genesis, it appears twice. This is the only place in the first five books of the Old Testament that that phrase is used. But you will see it used often in relationship to God's prophets. The word of the Lord will come to people like Isaiah, Helda, and others. The word of the Lord came to him at this particular time. It came. And Abram, well, he's expressing his concerns, isn't he? We've been wandering around here for some time. I've been in and out of some trouble. I mean, you wouldn't have want, I don't think any woman would have wanted to been his wife during these couple of incidents. But anyways, he's here, Yahweh shows up, and what does he do? The Lord reveals, the Lord speaks, and Abraham responds. He responds with a question, and in the question, you can hear the doubt or the concern I'm not so sure that you're going to come through on this promise. I haven't seen it yet. I don't even know if we made it to the land yet. I have no children. And yet you told me to look up at the stars. I have no genealogy. I'm a walking dead man without any heir. Not even one child. Let alone more than I could ever count. Abraham helps model to us the opportunity to engage God in protest. God gives promise. The promise doesn't seem to be coming to pass. Abraham is still walking with God. God comes to Abraham and Abraham offers protest. And God responds. God doesn't reject him. God doesn't belittle him. God doesn't expel him. God speaks to him, reassures that, no, you will have a son. And Abram believed it. And God credited it as righteousness. And Abram wondered about the land. And then God established this covenant, which seems so bizarre and strange to us. But would have been something that Abram probably was aware of. It's a, it's a semi-rite. The difference here is that the, the firing pot and smoke pass entirely through it. Abraham isn't invited to come halfway saying, if you keep your half, I'll keep my half. See, this is the difference between promise and prophecy. The promises of God are grounded in God alone. God needs no space-time framework. God will work in it and against it in God's timing. That's why Jesus said nobody knows the hour. We got all kinds of people wanting to set the time for Jesus' return. I'm in, in fact, I'm convinced that a lot of evangelicals would like to see the whole world go to war. Somehow they would think that maybe Jesus will come back. There's got to be this great war. We could annihilate the earth with nuclear bombs and it will not cause God to move. God would be grieved, greatly grieved. 
for the earth is part of God's sanctuary. What am I trying to say? We have confidence in the God who keeps promise. God will keep promise. And God invites us to trust in him. And he will come through. Just as he did for Abram. His doubts. Not seeing the promise come to pass. However, he has faith. He has confidence. He has confidence as the song we sang. Confidence in the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Faith is that which takes God as his word and that word is sufficient. Does not need evidence to support it, but trust in God to perform it. God alone will bring this to pass. Abraham and Sarah are dead. Just like Mary. Mary's not dead, but she has no husband. It's a miraculous birth. The, the, the incarnation as we know it. The, the conception of Jesus. It's miraculous. Like Sarah and Abram. Demonstrating that it is God who alone who can bring to pass this promises. The good news is God invites us to journey with God. As we walk to see the final actualization of the promise. And during that journey, we realize certain things. We experience certain blessings, which are all connected to God's promise. Five times, five times Yahweh said to Abram, I will bless, I will bless, I will bless, I will bless, I will bless. Coming against, if you will, the curses that have all come before that chapter, before that experience. Our God is a God of promise. And out of promise comes prophecy. The prophecies and scriptures are all grounded in this promise. The promise is this. I will be your God and you will be my people. In order to have a people, there needs to be a beginning. That promise goes back to Genesis 3, when God says to Eve, you will have an offspring, and he will crush the head of the serpent. It's reiterated to Abraham. That smoking fire pot and the flames of the torch remind us of the pillar a fire by night and the pillar or the cloud of smoke by day. It's speaking of that exodus and then the wanderings in the wilderness. See, in our wilderness, as we journey to the fulfillment of the promise, God promises to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us, leading us. And so, prophecy, though, is often conditional. If you do this, then I will do this. If you don't do that, then I will do that. But promise is not conditional because it's based on God alone. The promise is that God is going to enter into space-time and address all the problems that humanity has brought about. 
There is a person. There needs to be a genealogy. And there is a place. God wants us to flourish in this journey. God will keep his promise regardless. But we are to trust God in spite of these challenges, in spite of these difficulties. We could look at Psalm 27 quickly. We heard it read earlier. I just want to point out a few verses. Psalm 27.1. Actually, Psalm 27 is a song of confidence. It's a song of trust. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And in verse 9 we read, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper and do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Do not hide, do not turn away, and do not reject. A lot of times in our journey, in our relationships with others, we experience these things. People hide, people turn away, people abandon us. This psalmist is saying, do not do that to me, O God, my Savior, my help. God does not forsake. God does not hide. God does not reject. But sometimes, and many times, God is silent. We have to affirm, like Jesus, those overt times of the joy and presence of God, which sustains us in those times that God seems to be absent. The way of salvation is a gift. The gift is a journey. The journey has a purpose. That purpose is to develop relationship with God, with one another, to flourish and live, realizing God's promise as we look forward to the final, final actualization. The resurrection of the dead, the glorification of the bodies, the glorification of God's creation. The psalmist says in verse 13, I, will, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We will see the goodness of the Lord. The promise is guaranteed. Because God keeps promise. Our hope is in the one that can create the heavens and the earth. Who can raise from the dead. In Philippians 3, we shift now. We see that the New Testament comes in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior he is the promise, the fulfillment. As I said, all the way back to Eve, to Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, to David, promised Messiah. In this way, and only through this way, can all the peoples of the earth be blessed. All the peoples. 
Because in Christ, that life is extended to whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And calling upon him, God does not hide. God does not turn away. God does not abandon. But the word of the Lord can come to you as it did Abram. That is Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior. In, in Philippians 3.17, join with others in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. So as we come to this passage, we too know the promise. That is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God of God, light of light, true God of true God. The Son of God who assumes humanity to show us how to live fully as humans. And we're promised this heaven, but not so much heaven as when heaven and the great cloud of witness come to the earth during that grand resurrection and glorification and transformation, when our bodies are changed and the earth is renewed. That then is the fulfillment of the promise. Until then, we are like Abraham and Sarah, like Peter, Paul, and Mary, like others. We are on a journey, pilgrims looking to the one who will give us more than just a small parcel of property. We shall inherit the earth. And the fullness of it. God is a God of promise. He will keep promise. Maybe our promises that we've heard the Spirit whisper in our hearts. Are finding opportunities to be realized in this journey. I do hope so. But during this time of Lenten season. Let us not be surprised as we think about what the Lord has done in our life, what Jesus Christ has done, what God is doing, let us not be surprised that God might have us camp for a while in the wilderness, in those desert places, so that we might become an oasis, a place of hope, light, and life, that all the peoples, of the earth shall be blessed. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. 
If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.